Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I loved hearing Sally from Elvest. I think that she was passionate and inspiring and so incredibly uh, honest. So that was my my big takeaway was authenticity. Like I think that's what Sally Krawcheck, I thought she was extremely entertaining, explained a lot of very big words that had not heard um, very succinctly in Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. One of the last panels of the day during our Wide Awake, A Day for Female Founders conference was with Sally Krawcheck, the founder of Elvest. And let me tell you, you want to listen to this one all the way through. She's strong and powerful and has advice that, you know, I take to heart. I actually started an uh, an Elvest account as soon as I got home that night because I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this woman my money because she's going to make it grow and she's a smart lady. So I hope you enjoy this Q&A with Sally Krawcheck. So we are rounding out the end of the day, and I have the pleasure of having Miss Sally Krawcheck up here. Um, I'm not going to do her bio because I wouldn't do it justice, and I love when our speakers and our panelists actually give their story, but most of you would know her as the founder of Elevest. Before that, she bought 85 Broads, which, was, which is now Elevate. And before that, had a 20-plus year as one of the most senior women on Wall Street. And for me, as a former banker, that's pretty badass. And we are so excited to have her here. And we're going to talk a lot about the not only the gender gap, but the investing gap, given what Sally's doing and what Elevest is doing. But I'm going to turn it over to Sally just to give a bit about her background and story. I have so I have so much background. There's we love so background. many things I, I have, that have happened to me. And I have happened, too, that it's hard to go through all of them. I will tell you uh, that this, this is where Elevest was founded, like literally in that corner. This was um, District Cowork back a few years ago, and our office was right here, and I would sit by that um, fire escape and talk on the cell phone. Um, it was not nearly as beautiful as it is today, but it's interesting to sort of come back and look at the same windows. We had a drug dealer right outside. There's no drug dealer here. No drug and, dealer. And um, he, cannabis. We, we, he, the elevator didn't work then either, so it's amazing how much and little has changed in, in four years. But my, my background, um, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, whole goal in life, date and marry the quarterback, um, but, you know, had an individual in my life who at some point took me aside and said, you, you can go further, go. And so went to the University of North Carolina from South Carolina, thought I was going north, um, and at some point thought I'm going to go even more. And my father forbid me from moving to New York because it was too dangerous. 
um, in the late 80s. He was probably correct. But, of course, I moved to New York. In that, at that time, if you could get a job on Wall Street and you wanted to go, that's what you did. And, and my whole career has just been about that. Just go. Just take the risk, move on, fall down, get back up, embarrass yourself, get over it, and how far can you take it? I don't know what drive I have to do this besides sort of a basic insecurity driven by the fact I went to an all-girls school and was, you know, teased and mocked, but that's been my career. So research analyst at Sanford Bernstein covering uh, Wall Street. My claim to fame was that I was the one negative research analyst when, if some of you are you're old enough to remember. Everybody was positive. You had to be positive. It was a thing to be positive. You were positive even to the point it was illegal you were so positive. <laughs> like literally because you were lying to the clients and I was negative. And I was right and I became well ranked. My second claim to fame is when I was running the business of research and investment banking, um, which were at the time one business. I said, how in the world can people do this same business in their same head when if you're advising this client base, they want to buy the stock low, but this client base wants to sell their stock high, who is your client? Because you can't do a good job for both of them. I split the business. I got us out of investment banking. All the guys were like, that is dumb. You're going out of business. Except they were dumb because these conflicts were revealed. They were all fined hundreds of millions of dollars. And I ended up on the cover of Fortune as the last honest analyst, which was fun. My next claim to fame is that I was, went from running my little business, 384 people on a Wednesday, and Citigroup stock, at, t at the time the largest bank in the world, was going down sort of a dollar a day because of their role in the research scandal. So then Wall Street titan Sandy Weil brought me in to turn around their research business and run the storied Smith Barney. Um, so 386 people on a Wednesday, 34,000 people on a Thursday. Um, it was successful. Final, second to last claim to fame. Um, I got fired from that job eight years later because I am the only senior executive on Wall Street who, in the crisis of 0708, returned client funds. Um, because we, not because people invested in equities and the market went down, because we had missold products as low risk that were high risk. We made a mistake. I went to the boss. Can we partially reimburse the clients? We went back and forth. It went to the board. I won. But pro tip, take on your boss at the board, you will lose your job. And so the guy who, I think I was saying the other night when I was here, the guy who they went quietly the month before I went, they gave him $44 million. And anybody want to guess how much they gave me? Answer zero. Um, but my conscience was clear. Fantastic. Um, so that was my... My second claim to fame, and then my third claim, my f next claim to fame is I, I got fired again. <laughs> so I'm the only woman that I know of who's been fired twice on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Um, that was when I was running Merrill. I was brought in to turn it around when Bank of America had bought it in the financial crisis. The attrition rate was 54%. They asked me to come and turn it around. Got it down to 6%. You may be like, hey, Sally, why didn't you get it down lower? The answer is because they count death in the attrition rate. Merrill Lynch financial advisors are old. I can do lots of things, but I cannot keep a man alive. And I was, I was reorged out despite having great business results. 
um, because the CEO wanted to have his team around him. So that was almost worse than the first time. And then my final claim to fame is after that, I said, wait a second, hold on a minute. This industry I used to work in where financial advisors, 86% of financial advisors are white guys, 90% of traders are men, 95% of hedge fund managers are men, 90% of mutual fund managers are men. Huh. Is it any surprise that men invest more than women do? Is it any surprise that the industry sort of blames women for it? You're so risk averse. You need more financial education, all of which is BS. BS. We can talk about it. And I said, you know what? I, this is costing the women in this room hundreds of thousands, for some of you, millions over the course of your life because you're keeping your money in cash because the industry was not made for you. It was made by men for men. And I'm going to take the experience I have and actually build an investing platform that is by women for women, not in the, oh, we're women, let's not buy shoes, even though these are amazing, let's invest in the market, but instead really get to the core of why do women want to invest? Is it to outperform the market? Answer is no. Is it to figure out what their financial goals are, figure out if they can achieve them, and invest in order to do so? The answer is yes. Whew. I did that as fast as Mike I could. drop. Fast as I could. <laughs> That's a little about me. <laughs> okay, so I, I am, we had Sally here last week, just um, full disclosure, and she spoke to a smaller group, but we didn't get into, when, when you were at City and then at Bank of America, and I wanna, we'll talk a lot about LFS, but you're in the room getting fired. Yep. Who's in the room with you, and what's your response well, there are two different stories. Uh, when I got fired at City, um, I was in the room by myself. I was preparing for a meeting, and if, for those of you who have worked on Wall Street, CNBC is on all day long. And so it was on behind me, and I sort of glanced over, and I saw a picture of a woman and something about getting fired, and I'm like, whew, tough day for her. What? I'm like, that's me! <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> and then later the phone call came. So they had leaked this to the press before it got to me. Um, the second time was probably worse. The second time it was, ugh, it was the day after Labor Day. And um, my assistant came by the day after Labor Day and said, the CEO is in town and he wants you to swing by at 3.30. And I'm like, uh-oh. You know, I said, I think I'm gonna get fired. And she's like, the results are great. You're not about to get fired. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But you know, Brian never sort of swings by to shoot the shit with me. Huh, I wonder something big is going, going down. Um, so I went over at 3.30 to his office. And you know, I knew it, because I, I had hurt my foot, so I was in a cast. And I thumped by the most gregarious, nicest, backslappingest guy you've ever met. And I said, hey, David. And he's like, hello. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Went into Brian's office. And um, he said, you know, we're reorging. We're going to this. We're going to this structure. We're going to this structure. And so you're, you're being let go. And I think I sort of laughed. You know, at the time, the business was outperforming the competitors. It was beating plan. It was growing right? It was, it was on fire. I was mentioned, I'd been brought in for a task, and in two years, we had turned the business around completely. 
And so I just sort of laughed. And I'm like, what do you mean, me? Yes, you. And then I got, you know, trailed into the next office. And as we talked about, the shocker of my life is that the woman who, when I had joined, who was a decade plus older than me, who had committed to me that she would be my mentor, sponsor, whatever word we want to use, I'm here for you. This place is tricky. I will help you navigate it. You know, I will give you advice. And through the two years, sometimes the advice didn't feel exactly right, but thank goodness she's there because look at me, that advice didn't feel right. And I'd say to her, I just feel like, I just feel like I'm not connecting with Brian. I, I don't know, try, should I give him summary? Should I meet with, like, I'm not feeling, you know, and she was like, oh no, you are great together. You are the least of his worries. He's very busy. Just keep doing what I'm like, okay, if we're good, we're good. And she's sitting across the friggin' table. Right? With the press release, with the, you know, sign this release. And that's what hurt is this, you know, I have mother, mom issues, you know, and my mom's been sick. And, and I hadn't had that relationship before. And so that just cut me. I go back to my office. I try desperately to call my father. Um, don't get him because he's working out, and he, he then ends up seeing it on CNBC. And so that just, it would just was painful. It just felt fast and a little gratuitous, to be perfectly frank. Um, I went home and drank a lot and uh, spent the next day in a um, pool of, of self-pity. And I just really felt bad for myself. And the day after that, I picked myself up. I called up every member of the board. And for those who would call me back, I said, number one, I want to thank you for the opportunity to run Merrill Lynch. It was the opportunity of a lifetime. And number two, what could I have done better? And it was really interesting um, because what got back was, you know, from some of them, oh, nothing, good luck to you, whatever. But from the few who would talk, oh, Sally, we knew your results were top of every business. But the truth is you had nobody in there fighting for you. And when we said, why don't we fire somebody who's missing plan and shrinking? The answer was, no, 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 no. The business she's running, that's the easy business. And imagine if we put this white guy in it, how Old much better it will do. His, his colleague, his, his friend. Um, and so the lesson is, if you don't know who's in that room fighting for you, the answer is probably nobody. And that there are times in your career in which even great business results are not enough to overcome not having somebody fighting for you in that room. P.S., by the way, years passed. And about three months ago, four months ago, this woman who I thought was my gal, you know, my, my mentor, my sponsor, my mom, my work mom, she kept, you know, for over the years she's tried to reach me and wanted to talk, and, and truthfully, over the years, I've done delete, delete, because the email would show up, and it would so emotionally rattle me, and I'm like, just because she's ready to talk doesn't mean I need to do that. I don't owe her this. Well, then all of a sudden, I ran into her a couple times. I was out of this and this, and then I'm like, now it's getting weird, like she's begging, and so we got on the phone, and I'm thinking, she's going to apologize. You know, she's going to be like, you know what? The years have passed. I'm woke. I should have been, da da <laughs> Hell no. Her, um, she said, you know, I know you're, you know, I've written about it. She says, I can tell I hurt you. I'm like, yeah. 
And she said, I just want you to know the reason. I'm like, okay. And she said, we weren't close. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Bye. And that was it. No apology, no nothing, just it, I was not. She didn't have to feel bad about it because we weren't close. Again, mic drop, right? I mean, how do you follow that? Um, we've spent the whole day with different panelists and speakers and workshops really digging into um, pragmatic tips around how to run a business. And we're going to get to all of us. But I think one of the things, and I heard in the last one of the last sessions I was with Cheryl Kaplan, who's the co-founder of MGEMI, and she was talking about advisors, having advisors around you. And when you were here last week, you talked a lot. You use this story as an example around the fact that you need mentors, but more importantly, sponsors. And I think it's different in the corporate world than it is in the entrepreneurial world. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when we were talking last week, and I sort of hit on this a little bit in the corporate world, Carla Harris always says, if you know, every important decision about your career is made when you're not in the room, right? And so just, you got to know who's in the room and who's fighting for you. And if you don't know the answer, the answer is nobody. And it's also important to remember that mentors are nice, but they are not sufficient. And we women are way over mentored. So we have something like four times as many mentors as men do. That's lovely to have people answer our questions. The problem is we have half as many sponsors who are the people who fight for us. And look, the truth is, um, you uh, you want to have a diverse group of these individuals, but if we're going to be perfectly frank, and, and nobody tweet exactly this right now, if we're going to be perfectly frank, it's a white guy. And it's probably, honestly, an older white man. In fact, and I think we might have talked about this last week, when I have thought about who of my college and business school friends who've been mega successful, right, there are certain things that, you know, they're smart and they work hard and they're gutsy and they don't give up and they're gritty and all that stuff. But there's still some of them where you're like, I just wouldn't have guessed it would have been you. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed it wouldn't have been you, but, you know, when we were in the sorority house at 2.30 in the morning, I wasn't like, it's her, this is the one. So, I mean, I have like this friend who is, a, you know, long ago retired as a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley and like has this home where you're like, holy crud, right? And, and when I talked to her, well, you know, talk to me. She had, and I had, and all these friends of mine had an older white male sponsor. And I mean like a couple decades older. And an older guy who sort of took an interest in him, almost, you know, a professional fatherly interest and cleared the way. And by that, you know, by having that individual with that gravitas they were and people didn't want to cross this individual they were able to wipe out a number of the gender issues that come into play um, now maybe you maybe you're fortunate to have one of those maybe you aren't I just put it in the back of your mind because I don't know that it's a it's a necessary or sufficient condition I just noticed that there seems to be a, a either a correlation or a coincidence um, so finding sort of a diverse group of advisors but, you know, looking to find those who are a generation ahead, who've built the gravitas, who take an interest, who are not threatened by you. In my own career, again, coincidence or not, the bosses who were quite a bit older than me, 
Lou Sanders at Bernstein, Sandy Weil at City, Ken Lewis at Bank of America, they were like, go, Sally. The ones who were closer to my age, they fired me. And I, by the way, I'm the same. I wasn't a different person at any point in time. And my business results weren't different, but there was definitely a different dynamic. Well, you and I have a, a some, I mean, as a, bank, a former banker, I get that. Um, so let's delve into Elevest. Um, you saw a huge gap in the market, right? When we can quote as many statistics, and I know you love stats, so I'll let you do that versus reading off of what you've said. Well, first, I thought it was a dumb idea. So after I went on my second unexpected career break, a lot of well-meaning people said to me, you know, you should start a wealth management business for women or investing business for women. I was like, oh, my God. Like, that is such a terrible idea. It is so condescending. It is so junior varsity. You know, hello, I was in the varsity. It's going to be remedial financial education. You know, like, no. And, and of course, then everything. And women are too risk-averse to invest, and their husbands do. I had every 65-year-old man's thought in my head. And because, why did I think that? Because I grew up in our society. And because I grew up in an industry that viewed women as a niche market. And so it really wasn't until I've been told that a lot. No, 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 no. And then was putting on mascara one day and just went, oh, my gosh. You know, you ever have those moments where you're just like, wow, whoa, big thought. And the big thought was the retirement savings crisis in the United States of America is a gender issue. We women live six to eight years longer than men do. We retire with two-thirds the money of men. Eighty percent of us die single. And so if there's not enough money, it's us who's left eating the cat food, okay? And the guys are six feet under. <laughs> that slipped right on in there, didn't it? Took you a minute, but then you're like, she just made a cat food joke. <laughs> Can't be a group of women without talking about cats. So anyway, and then I began to sort of click over, how do we fix this? And of course, there are tax increases and entitlement cuts, which nobody is spending any time on. So what's the answer? Get more money to women. Okay, if we close the gender pay gap, we close the retirement savings gap by a third. Lots of people are working on it. Not very successfully, mind you, because it's barely closing. But then I began to think about, well, wait, wait, that's not the only gap. What are the other gaps? And son of a gun, as I dug in as a re research analyst, women don't invest as much as men do. Women keep 71 cents out of every dollar in cash, as we talked about. It costs hundreds of thousands. It costs millions. Over the course of a life, you don't like big numbers, I'll give you a small number. If you wait 10 years to begin to invest, you're making 85K a year, you're putting you know, the 20% of your take-home pay into the bank, it costs you $100 a day historically. $100 a day, right? And so I love to say that purse right there, you walk out of here, $100 falls out. Tomorrow, you take it again, another $100 falls out. The third day, what is Friday now? Uh, like, how freaking long does it take you to fix your bag? No time. And yet, we let this money go right past us. Why? We've been socialized to believe it is our fault. Okay? It starts at ch in childhood. When we are taught that money is for boys. When we are taught, when our parents talk to us about money, they talk to us about saving, they talk to our brothers about investing, growing wealth, making more money. When we go to school, we get worse grades in math for the same answers as boys. When we grow up and we read women's fashion magazines, 
they talk to us about not buying the latte. Like that is going to help. <laughs> You've got to be effing kidding me. Not buy the effing, like buy the fucking latte, okay? What they're not talking to us about is diversified investment portfolios. They talk about our money type. And the one that drives me nuts, I think we talked about this the other night, is that the sort of seminal women's TV show that we all grew up on, Sex and the City, every woman, Carrie Bradshaw, who, I mean, I'm a Miranda, but everybody else thinks they're a Carrie, was so smart in every way except that she bought so many shoes she couldn't buy her apartment. And we all identified with this. So we are taught that we are flipper gadgets when it comes to money. We are told we are risk averse. We are told we need more financial education. Except it's, so do the men. The men don't have any more financial education than we do. What really is the issue is we're given these messages that this is not for us. And then the industry, we look at it and it's our dad everywhere. When we try to learn, we go to watch CNBC. It's ESPN for money. And the industry symbol is a friggin' bull. What's a bull? It's a P, 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 phallic symbol. Right? It's, I mean, like, you couldn't scream He-Man Women Haters Club anymore if you tried. And in fact, you know, I'd like to say if, the, if we went back 100 years and the guys said, let's keep the women from having the power, what would they do? They'd do this. They keep us from having the money. They would populate Wall Street with all men and so make it a manly sport to invest. They would populate venture capital with all men and give money to other men. I don't think they did this, best of my knowledge. And so anyway, I set out and said, hold on a second. This isn't our fault. So let me build something. Let me raise some money and let me build something from the ground up for women, and not, and it's not what you think. I'm gonna keep going for a minute, is that okay? Yeah, okay, tell me more, Sally. Okay, I will. So look, I couldn't even, you're not even gonna believe where I started. Where I started, which was, well. Talk about the ghosting, because that's a big point. Well, yeah, but then let's talk about fundraising after. Ask me a fundraising question after. Okay, yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about that, and then you're like, hey, talk about fundraising, Sally. Okay, so the truth is, when I started, I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is because I worked on Wall Street and I'm a woman. It's that we're, we need to sort through our emotions around money. And so I actually spent real money, like how do we get through our blockages? And the feedback that came from the, you know, we've now done thousands of hours of research, but then the tens of hours of research was, you're kidding me, right? Like, I don't want to get through my emotions with you. And so what we built instead was a, we found you're very practical, you know, first of all, no, I'm a woman. Why does that matter? Because when I'm doing your investing plan, particularly your retirement, you live longer and your salary, I'm sorry to tell you, peaks a decade earlier than a man, man's. If you, this is not taken into account, that's fine for men because they, you know, they're on track to die on average, which means they die with money. It's bad for women because it means we run out. So we were the first that was gender aware. And then beyond that, we said this outperformed the market thing. Doesn't matter. It just means you're taking on more risk to try to get there. You want to buy a house in five years. You want to have a baby in three years. You want to start your business in seven years. You want to retire at 60. We'll buy, we'll put together a highly sophisticated investing algorithm that will enable you 
to figure out if you can do that. Well, you actually can't buy a house. You need a condo. You need to have a baby later so you can buy the house sooner, whatever it is, and make these trade-offs and then put together the most highly customized investment portfolio, as only technology can do, that is not there to have you win, but is there to help you achieve your goals in the vast majority of markets. The, you know, what was really amazing when we started, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. We're trying to change behavior. We're trying to say, take your cash and invest it. Well, what's actually happened is if you look at the other digital first advisors, Betterment, Wealthfront, Acorns, et cetera, we've been the fastest from standing start to now more than a quarter of a billion of assets under management. And so we've hit this product market fit in a really fun and interesting way. And we also today have added financial advisors, executive coaches, certified financial planners, because we've gotten the demand for it. So there's filling a gap. Obviously, you guys are leading the way. There's really no one that's even close. And you talk a lot about the fundraising aspect. And I will just tell a little bit of a story. So we were here again last week, and Sally's talking about fundraising. A lot of female founders were in the audience, and she's like, has anyone ever been ghosted at, when they've pitched or sent out their pitch deck? And, and I think people were sort of like, well, Sally would never be ghosted. So can you talk a little bit about that, the whole journey around the fundraising, and even you are ghosted? I have to tell you, I am. So l- let me be honest with y'all. Our first couple of rounds were easy. You know, our seed round was super simple. I called not VCs, but individual business people I knew, some in the industry, and said, look, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. And they said, yeah, we've known you for 20 years. We've known about this problem. Here's a check. We don't know if you can fix it, but here's, here's a check. Um, the Series A was relatively easy. You know, and then when you're starting to raise some big dollars, and I'm talking tens of millions, you know, things get a little, you know, you, you have to go to these institutions. It's hard to go to your friends at that point. And so you're on Sand Hill Road, you know, you're getting the meetings, you're pitching, etc. And just the most extraordinary things happen. You know, one, I was at a well-known Sand Hill Road VC firm, and it was there, it was me and 18 guys, which is totally, you know, what I'm used to. And I'm presenting, and the head guy Um, begins to, you know, talk to me about cost of acquisition and bringing it down. I'm like, that's awesome. Our cost of acquisition is like a quarter of the industries and going down fast, but bring it. The second thing he does is he then begins to talk to me about how to build a social media following. Now, our social media following is two and a half million. It's the largest in U.S. financial services, way more than his. But you can always learn. The third thing is I'm talking about hiring financial advisors, and this guy begins to tell me what they're like and what the economics of the business are. Now, in case you missed it in the intro, I've run more financial advisors than anybody on the planet. (laughs) Like, maybe the universe, but definitely the planet. And this guy is mansplaining it to me. And I'm sitting there thinking, does he not know who I am? (laughs) Even though it's in the deck, I introduce myself and, like, it's, you know, he's around. <laughs> or does he actually think he knows more than I do about financial advisors? And to this day, I don't know the answer. So, number one, mansplaining 
everywhere. People are like, did you storm out of the room? And the answer is obviously not. I was like, thank you. In fact, when I ran Merrill Lynch, he's like, right? So that's number one. You got to prepare yourself for mansplaining. Number two, I've been shocked by the ghosting. Now I can get, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I can get a meeting. What stuns me, and by the way, this is men and women. You know, you'll read about these women that are on the cover of Forbes for All Rays, and you go and meet with them, and you bring all your stuff, and you have a great meeting, and they love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, and you send more stuff, and you have a follow-up, and the dab, da, 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 and they don't reply to another. And the next thing you know, six months have gone by, and you're like, should I stalk them or not? It is, I've been talking to my friends out there, it is the damnedest thing I've ever seen, because at least on the East Coast, you get an answer, right? But somehow, there's so many of these folks who just, in their job description, don't think the courtesy of a response is warranted. And when I was out, I was actually out there, I was at a dinner party in Silicon Valley on Monday night, and I said, what gives? And I think, I think it's, they never want to give up the optionality. And so if they haven't told you no, when the deal comes together, maybe they can find out about it and still say yes. The third thing that has shocked me is, and I was just talking to my partner, my co-founder about this today, is how many of them, how often you get asked who else is in the deal. Which is a really hard question to answer when, you know, nobody's in until they're in, right? You know, I'm interested, you need to find a lead, etc. And I'm talking the very top tier and there's this weird game you have to play about you're trying to get them all through the, who, you know, sort of through the gate at once. And by the way, as soon as it's clear that it's going, then you're oversubscribed. And so, you know, I've been through when raising real money, like you're committing suicide and then all of a sudden you're massively oversubscribed. And they all try to get in. It's just, just the weirdest thing. And then the fourth thing I'm going to say, and, and this can we untweet, okay? Um, this was a long discussion at this dinner. The good news is there are so many new female VCs at these brand name firms. And the bad news is not many of them can get a deal through. They're junior, right? And what I've started to do, and I'm giving you all my secrets now, is almost before I go into, I'll have a meeting with them, I'll say, you're going to protect me, right, over there filming? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Because I'm really trying to go deep here. And and look, for these young women who are doing this, go, go, and be successful. But in the meantime, if you have the luxury of it, what I've done is, before the meeting, how do you make your decisions? How do you make them? Is, can one person champion a deal? Do you need two people to get it through, or do you need consensus? And I got to tell you, from my company, I don't think we've made it through a consensus VC yet. And the stuff that we get, because it's majority men, and the stuff that we get back when they say no is, um, what if a competitor gets in? And I'm like, all right, our market is a $7 trillion AU assets under management market. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of multi-billion dollar investing in fintech firms serving men. But you're not going to invest in me because someone else might get in? You know, that's question number one, right? And the others are equally like guys' points of view where they think of women as a niche. And so as soon as they come back with you, you can say you couldn't get, you couldn't get the deal through. And so I think best is ideally, 
you know, you find someone who really understands your business who has a track record of backing women. That's the other thing to ask. Have you backed any women CEOs? That's a weird, that feels like an awkward question to ask, but you can figure it out on Crunchbase, right? And go through and who do you see? And try to go with those ones that have a track record. You know, the thing we really need to fix is we now have a lot of women investing in women's seed in Series A. It's Series B, you know, and forget Series C is, is terrible, but it's the big money that isn't yet breaking through. And so you're having a lot of women being successful and then jamming into walls at Series B. Was that helpful? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I wanna have everyone have an opportunity for Q&A, but I wanna, I wanna ask one more question around when is the right time to invest? So we talked a little bit about emergency funding, your credit card debt, your student debt, and there are a lot of women here, new female founders. Yep. So let me, um, the, okay, so anybody, so active managers, active money managers, buy this stock low, sell it high, trade in, trade out, run a mutual fund, run a hedge fund, masters of the universe, multimillionaires, right, these, these folks. What percent of these folks who figure out when to get in and out of the market consistently outperform the market over a five-year basis? Anyone want to guess? Answer 0.1%. 0.1%. Okay? So, for those of you who are thinking, gosh, what Sally talked about seems really interesting and I would like to invest, I feel like the market's a little high right now, personally, because it just went up. You have no idea. You do not know, right? Unless in your spare time you're better than 0.1% of people who spend their whole life on this, you do not know. Indeed, the only active money manager many of us in the room have even heard of is Warren Buffett. And the reason you have heard of Warren Buffett is because there's exactly one Warren Buffett. <laughs> if there were a bunch of Warren Buffetts, you would know six or seven of them or whatever, or thousands of them, but you only know of one because there's only one. And even he does not try to figure out the right time to invest. So the correct answer to your question is yesterday, right? The right time to invest is yesterday. The other right time to invest is some percent uh, out of every paycheck, if you're taking a paycheck, right? You know, some percent of your savings move into investing. The rule of thumb um, is that for your take-home pay, again, assuming you have a regular salary, but even if you don't, if you're taking in chunks, 50% should go to needs. In New York, that may be higher, right? Rent's ridiculous. Um, 30% goes to fun because we are not Puritans and we have to have a good, good time. We only live one time for all I know, so we need to spend 30% on fun. And then 20% goes to future you. And that's what you put in your 401k if you have one or your IRA or investing a little bit. If you can't, whoa, I can't afford to do that, then do me a favor, invest 1%, Right? Put it on direct deposit, have it taken right out, whatever you do, and then move it up to 2%, move it up to 3%, and just forget it. And you know what I did when the market was freaking out in November and December? I stopped, I didn't look. Just don't look. Just don't look. There's nothing good about looking, right? And when you look, and, the, and you know what the research says? The men look, and then they do something, and they do the wrong thing almost every time. 
women outperform men in investing by one percentage point a year, whether they're professional investors or individual investors, because we just leave it, right? Again, unless you are better than 0.1% of money managers, in which case, don't start whatever business you're starting. Go become a multi-billionaire investing. <laughs> okay, questions? Allie. I don't have a question, but I just want to say I have an Elevest account because my husband is constantly looking at our account wherever it is, and I and he was at he worked at E Trade, so it was at E Trade, mm. and then he moves money in and out, and I hate it. It makes me mad. Makes so you I crazy. Like, I gotta get it out. I yeah. need him. I need a place where he's not gonna have access to it. He's not gonna look. <laughs> that's great. Good girl. I'm not gonna live on cat food. Good. That's my girl. That's yes. that's our. <laughs> That's our statement. We're not living on cat food. But everybody here should absolutely have your own investing account. I'm, I'm all in favor of the joint checking account and, you know, Gary makes X and I make Y and we split the household expenses in a certain way. But the truth is, guys, 90% of us manage our money on our own at some point in our lives, even if we don't want to. And I'll be frank, I am now at the stage in which I have friends whose husbands have passed away. They didn't mean to, and they didn't want to, right? But this guy, you know, had a brain tumor. This guy had cancer. This guy was in a car wreck because he was drunk. This guy flew a plane. Like, stuff happens, and 50% of marriages end in divorce. And I'm absolutely certain everyone's marriage was better than my first marriage was. But the shock of my life was when I found out that my first husband was having an affair with my friend. I mean, I wouldn't have imagined it. Like, it was so far out of the realm of what I thought was possible that after I found long hair on the bed that was not mine, you know, I'm like, oh, it's the cat sitter. <laughs> and then it was so outside, like, I kept thinking to myself, I need to ask John if he's cheating on me, and I kept forgetting. <laughs> and then when I did, like, I, I'm like, hey, John, are you cheating on me? He's like, no. I'm like, are you sure you're not? He's like, no. And then I turned away, and I'm like, wait, why isn't he more... upset that I keep asking and so then I was like John are you cheating on me he said you're going to be mad and and I was really mad I just (laughs) just want to admit that I lost my temper have a separate separate account you have to have a separate account by the way in case you're wondering I won (laughs) my happiest day one of my happiest days of my life truth be told is when I was brought in to run Smith Barney So I was at this level, and he happened to be at Citigroup at that level. It was, oh, revenge, so best served cold. I'm like, John, I have to call you and let you know there's going to be some news tomorrow, and just watch out for it. You probably can't miss it. (laughs) And your wife, she's not going to miss it either. (laughs) Okay, another question. Min, yeah. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's amazing. This is my money in 60 seconds that yeah. I do on LinkedIn. One takes, Alec. Yeah. Thank you. The stats and the information of wealth is just amazing. Great, thank you. Um, my question to you is, as a lot of us are entrepreneurs and we're bootstrapping, and when you're taking 401k, credit card yeah. debt, and I get very, you know, children, so I get very nervous about, oh my God, what am I, when, when and how, and what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel for you, this taking out credit card debt to run the business, selling your home to run a business, Oy. Um, 
try to get to some kind of proof of concept as fast as you can and raise the amount of outside funding you need so that you can breathe and then get to revenues as quickly as possible, right? You know, the cheapest form of capital is revenue, and the faster you can begin to, you know, every dollar of revenue or every dollar of, the, you know, of sort of margin is a dollar you don't have to raise from the outside, um, and it's certainly a dollar you don't have to take on your credit card. So um, good luck. Know your breaking point. You know, how much money is it that you get to, you've spent X, and that's when you have to say, if it's not going, it's not going, and try to stay true to that. Um, but, you know, sometimes you love what you do, and you're passionate about it, and it's worth the stress. But it's stressful, I know. I know. So one more question, Tanya. So you've got the formula of the percentages of, this percentage of funds, this percentage of investment. So as an entrepreneur, we've just set our salary. So we have to go, oh, I need to make 10K a month or 20K a month. But then what's the formula? For I'd gross it up. Yeah. Taxes, investing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Then how do we set our... So I'd go the other way, right? So as I think, so first of all, we all know the guys make more cash than we do when they're startup CEOs and they take more equity, okay? And I think, what, what are the numbers? Do you, do you have them about of the amount of equity given out at startups, like women have a single digit percent. Um, it's something like 9%. We were talking Silicon Valley. So first of all, I want to make sure that everybody's, you know, using the resources here and determining that you're getting the right amount of equity, which is a lot. Okay. When you go to cash, I think the way to do it is start with, you know, what your needs are. Okay. So start there. And now you know that's supposed to be 50% of your total take-home pay, right? So you want to gross it up another 50%. You want to double it, and then you got to pay taxes on top of it. So you want to go backwards on your math. And look, you know, I, I by the way, I haven't taken a salary in my startup in, in years and years, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. So you may want to make adjustments. You may say, look, I'm in a good place you know, I've got savings I can dip into, I've got a partner, I've got a spouse, I've got a whatever, I'll leave that 30% fun money and, you know, we'll have fun together in, the, in our bedroom or something. It doesn't take a lot of money. Um, so you want to make those decisions. But, you know, I think the, the worst thing we can do is to put all the great stuff off. You know, and, and I, look, I've just, I'm, I'm kicking myself because as I'm, I hope, finishing a chapter. I don't want to say what it is because I'm, I'm very superstitious, but I've just gotten through a big push at my company and will soon be announced. And you know what? I really didn't have fun for six months. I just didn't. And I really thought I had learned that lesson before and I sort of forgot it because of the responsibility of having 72 employees and a quarter of a billion dollars of assets under management and X number of clients and we got to get this out and this is make or break and all that stuff. And you got to find a way to get those moments of joy, right? If it's exercise, it's exercise. If it's drinking wine, I was telling my husband, I'm trying to up my alcohol consumption (laughs) because why not? not? You know, just to, but find the, just try to with self-care sort of find those places, you know, where you can have some fun and and leave it behind because it's stressful. And, you know, for those of you, some of you have been in corporate America, 
you know, I've spent my life it's in corporate America and, and startup, and I have to tell y'all, for those of you who haven't, this is so much harder. You know, I tell people, this is harder than running Merrill Lynch, and not by a little bit either. You know, coming up with the idea, trying to get the right team in place, trying to get the money raised, trying to get the product market fit, trying to get the marketing, trying, you know, so many things have to go right in order for it to work. What I love is how y'all are coming together. Because the, the challenge for all of us in both corporate America and as entrepreneurs has been the being alone. And, you know, it strikes me that when we were at school, we, were, we traveled in packs, right? We all survived college because we traveled in packs. We knew we didn't leave a party without our tribe, right? We didn't leave each other alone. We studied together. We partied together. And then we got into the real world and we got separated, and we were alone in our kitchen starting our business or we were alone in corporate America. And the reason that one of the reasons the guys have been more successful is because they were sharing their term sheets with each other, right? They were sharing their connections with each other. And so, you know, the important thing to remember is that as entrepreneurs, not only is it okay for you to be successful, it doesn't take it away from me, it helps me, right? Because these VCs are pattern recognition folk and you know, let's have them start to think, all right, woman, <laughs> fund a woman. Women have great returns. And so I think we can all be helpful to each other and, and rise together. Rise together. Thank you, Thank Sally. You. I think there was a level of candor from Sally Krawcheck around kind of the, the real deal about investing, the real deal about Seeking funds, like there was a there was a level of candor in her talk that I really appreciated. As someone who's been in business for a minute, like the sense that right, like you might get business ghosted, like that stuff happens, and the fact that if it happens to someone at her level, that kind of validates my experience. I know that I ask you guys to rate, review, write in, pretty much after every episode. Um, I recently got a woman named Jackie who wrote in. I know I always say this makes my day, but it really does, you guys. So wanted to share this review with you. It's not a review. I just want to share this email with you. It says, hi, Rebecca and team. My name is Jackie, and I just want to say thank you. I've been following you and your team for several years now regarding your brand, your ideas, and what you guys stand for, and have recently gotten into your podcast after rediscovering my love for them. It's refreshing to hear from women in your industry and others that are at the top of their field and all of the insight, advice, and funny anecdotes they have to share. Being a college-age girl who is going into a field that is male-dominated, corporate law, tax law, finance law, real estate law, you get the gist. I love to listen to others' journeys since I'm living in the generation of instant gratification. I know I have to work hard to get where I want to go, and you and your team continue to inspire me with every episode. So all of this summed up, I want to say thank you. Sincerely, Jackie K. Jackie Kay, I'm so glad you wrote in. Keep listening. We have tons more women coming at you. And for those of you who have not yet downloaded, rated, and reviewed me at the Apple Store, please do so that we can keep bringing you this incredible content. Thanks for listening. <laughs>